welcome back to another episode of the Heart Square podcast. In this episode, uh, myself and Bob were joined by two members of the Heart Square team, um, Billy and Jonathan. Uh, Billy is one of our senior business change consultants here at Heart Square, and Jonathan is one of our business change consultants. So they have lots of experience in projects. So we spoke to them today about all things data and data migration. Indeed, yeah, they do have, like you say, lots of experience, um, lots of scars, I would say, from the, uh, the projects they've been involved with. A significant number of which have probably been caused by data and data-related um, challenges before the night within their project. So, uh, yeah, it'd be really good to, uh, to have a conversation with them and see what, uh, what pointers they can give us today. Yeah, definitely. So, without further ado, we'll get straight into the episode. Hi, Billy and Jonathan. Uh, thanks so much for joining myself and Rob on the HeartScope podcast today. It's great to have you both join us. Um, so as you know, here at HeartScope, we talk a lot about data and just because it's such an important topic. So today we are going to be um, delving into that topic once again, um, and specifically on the topic of data migration. Um, but before we get into the episode um, itself um, or the topic, I wondered if you could both do a very quick introduction into yourself and your role here at HeartSquare. If I could start with you, Billy, please. Yeah, hi, thanks, Elliot. Yeah, so I'm uh, Billy P, a senior business change consultant here at HeartSquare. Um, I've been here a number of years and worked with a number of not-for-profits, um, including charities and membership bodies. Um, and prior to being a HeartSquare, I worked as a project manager at Cancer Research UK for four years. Great, thanks, Billy. And uh, Jonathan? Thanks, Ellie. Um, yep, my name's Jonathan Beaumont. I'm a business change consultant at HeartSquare. Um, my background is predominantly in the non-profit sector, um, mainly in charities. Um, so in regards to what we're talking about today with date migration, I've been on both sides of the fence. Um, I have some stories I can tell. <laughs> I look forward to that. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, yeah, so I mean, as Ellie said at the top, uh, at the top of the, the session, we talk about data quite a lot. We talk about data migration quite a lot um, in the course of our work and, and for our content. And I suppose the opening question then has to be, why do we do that? Why why is data and data migration so important to the work we do and to our nonprofit clients? Billy, did you want to open with that? Yeah, sure. I think it's, it's a great question. And it to me, it plays such a key role in all of the projects that you know, we're involved in. And I think often data is a key driver why people want to change, especially CRMs. It's often a big driver is to improve their data quality. Um, so I think it's often a key benchmark for us or when we're talking with clients about why they want to do this it is about accessing better data, have that better insight as well um, in terms of them being able to market better to either members or donors or be able to report on things like retention amongst fundraisers. So it really is at the heart of everything. I think we're seeing a big sort of shift in the sector in terms of how powerful data can be. So it's so important to get it right at the start of a project um, and it's so important for our clients. So it, it really underpins, I think, ultimately the success of, of the project really. And like I say, I say 90% of the clients that I've worked with, the main driver for them on doing a, a new CRM project is is to improve, improve their data. Yeah, and in regards to sort of data, I think it was probably oh, about 10 or 12 years ago where um, there was everyone got really interested in data and data was gold and there was that big period of wanting to hold all the data and collect every single piece and now we're in a sort of position about how best to use that data with gdpr coming in where your sort of governance is alongside that um it's having 
as you were saying about having uh, a structure in place and actually understanding what you want to use that data for really sort of informs what sort of systems you want to use um, and our role in that and sort of supporting the client working with the partner um, is really beneficial. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks Jeff. I think you're right. I think like you say, probably is it 10, 12 years ago, I suppose it is, isn't it? Um, all of that investment in technology was about how we, how we capture data better. Yeah. yeah, you know, whether it's through having a CRM behind the scenes, through putting out, you know, websites and self-service portals and things like that. But now we should be thinking about, okay, how do we put that data to work? How do we get to it? How do we, um, how do we, how do we benefit from having that data? So interesting bit of your point about actually getting to that stage is one of the key objectives that clients are <coughs> have got in mind when they embark on any of these technology projects whether again whatever the technology might be it is a key driver for them it's one of their objectives that they're aiming to to achieve and a measurable one actually which is a really good thing in that context then one of the questions that one of the things i think that we promote to clients is the answer to this question but when should they be thinking when two questions actually when should clients be thinking about data their data migration and when do you find that they are thinking about that data about data and the migration that comes with it yeah it's a, it's a good question i think personally i think almost as soon as you are going to embark on uh, a change project whether it be crm or, or website i think you should be thinking about it in terms of at least sort of starting to think about you know who you're best data lead person might be and you know you might have a, a specific data manager at the organization but it will depend on the size but you really need someone to lead and own that own that area of work and really start making those steps in terms of identifying any data sources that may be outside your CRM such as spreadsheets and really starting to think about pulling all of that together and I think the earlier you can begin that the uh the the better really like I say even basically if you've made that decision I think you should you can start sort of doing incremental steps to start improving it whether that actually happens it varies I think depending on the size of the organization depending on the resources often I think people will start to think about it maybe in the discovery stage of a project so they've appointed their technology partner and they're starting to now think about how the system will look I think typically in projects I've worked on that's when people will start to think about their data quality but also maybe where other data sources are so I think and yeah like I say it depends on the timings and how quick you've got to turn things around and the resource you've got in terms of how efficient that can be. Jonathan you've seen similar on both sides of the fence? Yeah um, I think uh, a lot of organisations won't be at a glance aware of where all their data is. I think also like uh, during the pandemic that big shift to everyone working at home um people had workarounds that they used to get back into their sort of organizational flow and as the years have gone by and there's been that lack of interaction in the office with each other i've seen evidence of bad sort of data management and there's nothing to be ashamed of um it's just having the ability to sort of map that data who owns that data where it is and what what form it's in as well um it may be in an excel it may be saved to people's drives so starting that uh, that starting those conversations at the start of a project without blaming people um and let people be open to what data that is currently being used within that organization and having that sort of approach of what do we want to keep if we did keep it where would it go and that sort of early conversations with those subject matter experts 
because there's going to be people in the organization that want to keep their data separate. They've got their own master spreadsheet and they really love their master spreadsheet. So it's about sort of breaking down those barriers as well and having those conversations early. Um, as well as when the tech partner comes on board, their approach to data migration and having those conversations um, around your organization and making it a bit more bespoke for you and understanding you as a group. Yeah, I wonder whether um, there's a couple of things in there and you mentioned because you mentioned GDPR earlier and then there's that piece about uh, governance improving because of it. There's what the client what the client needs as opposed to what the client wants yeah, to have data wise. Is that something in, in, in the context of actually getting people to volunteer? Oh, I do keep this data offline. I have got my secret spreadsheet, you know, in the in the USB that's locked away in the back of the mini sort of thing. Is that something that you do see come out that people actually are open to that or do you still see stuff getting hidden? I mean, I can only speak from myself. Um, I think <laughs> not when I'm at Heart Square because I would never do that at Heart Square. Um, but I think that everyone uh, has this sort of ability to um, save things to their own drive for reference. Um, and that can sort of build and sort of snowball. And I've seen evidence from talking with clients um, how people do have those workarounds and often because they're they're starting this process this change process maybe from a legacy system that's not worked for them is they've the reason they have these workarounds is quite logical they want to deliver a piece of work and this is what works best for them but unless you sort of create that sort of atmosphere of no blame they probably go down the route of looking to hide it more than if they um, if you have that sort of uh, good sort of change management approach um, and doing those discovery sessions and asking the right questions and for us to be that voice in the room um, that sort of um, ask those sort of open questions and sort of gather the information and sort of plan it out. I'm not sure what you think Billy. Yeah I think it's, I think it's a really good point and I think Often people are using spreadsheets because the CRM isn't really working for them. Nice. Um, I think a big job, especially in the early part of a project, is almost convincing people that the CRM, you know, is basically is a better version. You know, most modern CRMs are better versions of Microsoft Excel and can do a lot more. But I think people are skeptical, and that's often why people use spreadsheets. I think. Um, so I think, but I do think the point around GDPR is really interesting. I think that has definitely changed sort of, and I think there's been a big effort to to move more data into CRM moving forward. Um, but I think, yeah, you're right. You want to create that openness that people can come forward, get those data sources over to the tech partners to have a look at in the early part of the projects. The worst thing I've seen on projects is, you know, you're going through UAT and a spreadsheet appears and that needs to be imported. And it's really important because you, you then, you know, there's less time to then actually influence, you know, where that data needs to go, check the data quality and go through that process. So I think creating the openness is not a problem. And we are moving towards, uh, you know, a system where everything can be in one place. And then the benefit and selling the benefits of that, I think, and really communicating well with people, get people to come forward with it. So I think, yeah, the, the change management piece is really a really important one. And, and the complexity of that data that may be hidden may actually inform a lot of the mechanics of um, the build. So having those conversations early and for the tech partner to see the data, some that may be simple and some that may be complicated and then be able to plan appropriately means that for budgets as well, but how much time they need to allocate for it really sort of informs that sort of discussion. Um, so it's really important to, to start that approach and, and that, that whole sort of no blame approach sort of a it's a clean slate um let's all sort of 
open our wardrobes and cupboards and show us where your data is. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because what you're saying is that you need to build confidence. Yeah, so you need to build confidence in in, for the people who have got their little, you know, their, their own piece of data hidden away. You need to be able to build their confidence with through the openness and approach so that they put their data forward into the mix early so that you've got time to accommodate it, you know, architect around it, etc. And yet it's it is people being exposed to modern technology and to what it's capable of doing that that helps them build that confidence, isn't it? So and I get, and I know Billy, so you mentioned sort of you know spreadsheets that appear during the middle of UAT or or later. And I know that that's a that's a real life example. I know we've <laughs> we've spoken about that. Um, is it something you're seeing more of, less of, or just something that we're we're aware it happens and we have to try and accommodate actually because there's only so much we can mitigate. Yeah, I think I think actually I think yeah, sort of drawing on lessons learned, and I think tech partners are definitely more aware of it now, and you know especially ever since GDPR. So I think having almost a data you know, I think it's imperative as part of discovery to have a data discovery workshop, you know, where you provide access to your current database or databases if there's multiple to the tech partner, but also, yeah, that sort of clear and concise message to everyone to, you know, if you've got spreadsheets and you want them in the database, like Jonathan said, it will inform the build almost as well. Let's get them out there and open. And I think, I think actually on recent projects, things have been a lot better in terms of people coming forward. And I think especially since GDPR, there's been a lot of work done to improve data quality. So I think actually now we are seeing more of that, I think, in terms of people getting those spreadsheets in. But there's also less spreadsheets, I think, I'm certainly seeing in terms of complex data, So, which I think is a really good thing. Um, but I think, yeah, a data discovery workshop at the start of the project is absolutely imperative um, to sort of almost drive that out. And like I say, it can help inform the build as well. Yeah. I think that that's like you say that highlights the the place that data has and the and the importance of of getting it into the into the mix early. Jonathan, do you think that's also then part of what if you like if there's the change program, you know, the change management piece around the actual project or the program of work, that they're you know again it's about communicate early, communicate clearly about why it's so important. Was that you know is that one of the tools that we would use? Yeah, definitely, um, and. I think everyone understands um, in their own way the importance of data and how it's used um, within the organization. But I think that you find in those sessions, it also goes to the bigger picture and what the business plan is and where the organization is looking to go. And then that will sort of really inform the value of data because some data that you've collected over the years, being dietary requirements from 2017 for an event, Maybe it's the data that we can just delete and we can just move on. Um, and there may be other parts of the data which is, is really pertinent to any sort of policies or governance that you you have at that organization that really needs to be secure. And there's a, a, a real need to um, not have that information just held by certain individuals in the organization. So you don't make a, a Rob-shaped job. And he really understands all the data and understands how it's all constructed. But if for whatever reason they lost Rob, what would be the impact for the organization? So almost at that stage sort of going through it, having an ability to grade the data and, and for an organization, 
if you have a lot of data from a lot of years, it's quite good to have some of those sort of big strokes of saying we're not going to we're not going to keep this, we're not going to migrate that, and it kind of makes the project a bit more manageable, as well as getting the buy-in from people that um, there's a, a logical approach to it. Um, and having that tech partner there with all their experience and all their um, abilities to sort of uh, streamline some of that approach. Because to be honest, a lot of the organizations that I've been a part of before, and it's been my role, is data migration and cleaning your data can sometimes take a back foot to the really important business critical things that are right in front of you. So having that dedicated time to talk about it and actually booking in time to go in um, and map it and delete things um, is is really important um, to the project. Yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. I think it kind of leads into that, the, the question then, which is around, um, both, yeah, for, for the benefit of the audience actually, but talking about kind of what it then takes to to migrate data into a new system. What, what are the steps that are involved mm. in that? Because, you know, we're talking about that like, you've kind of thrown into the mix some data cleansing, you take, you've thrown in about, you know, pulling out yeah. different data sources, how they impact um, how they impact the shape of the project. We've seen it impact the timeline of the project, et cetera. Um, you know, I mean, is it not as simple as just kind of running your normal query, creating your CSV file, you know, sticking it, a copy of it uh, on your OneDrive, a copy of it on a USB, a copy of it that you email to your private account, and then you provide one to the project and they just upload it into the new system, right? I mean, it, it's not much more than that, is it? I like the... Uh... I like that sort of approach. Maybe we should, you know, see if if that works. But uh, <laughs> add it to the method. <laughs> I think I think in terms of in terms of steps, I think the first and most important step is is having that data lead, as in the organisation. That sort of that person that you know can almost you know who is an expert on data. And ideally, someone someone in the organisation has that either that role as sort of a data protection officer or you know a database lead. And I appreciate depending on the size of your organisation, you may or may not have those roles. But I think you need to identify almost a data champion and someone who can clearly and can get that messaging across, and they can start then to own that stream of work and work in in parallel with the technology partner, who again really should have that data lead and someone who's in the expert in the data. And I think once you got that in place you can then start the process of identifying those data sources and collating the information and and then you can sort of build it from there but I think you need that that owner internally to sell that sell that message to the organization about why this is important and and start doing that sort of collation of, of data sources mm -hmm. that that would be my starting point and that's really interesting Billy like in regards to roles and responsibilities because uh, different people in the organization are going to have um, different sort of values to their data within their sort of department. So actually having someone there that can collate it, like you said, um, organize it into a structured fashion. And then there's decision makers to actually make the decision on the data that's there whilst, yeah. whilst keeping everyone informed. Yeah, because I, th I think that's the other, that's a really good point in terms of it is about identifying those data sources. But then, you know, you may have to have some tough decisions on what comes across what doesn't so I think you know having that workshop early having that process of the, identifying the data sources you can then start to build up a sort of a framework if you like and then I think once you go through that process it almost then comes into okay so who's going to you know then you get into data migration testing which I know is a bit of a, a something that's later on in the process but again if you get people bought into the idea of how important this is you can then start to identify who might be able to help you in terms of when it comes to the actual testing 
Yeah, so just one thing before moving ahead, like say through those steps, one thing I just wanted to under ask about was when um, you talk about like having a data lead and that you know that might be a DPL or somebody, but somebody who has that overall oversight. Do you have occasions where essentially there's um, a conflict that has to be mediated between me? I'm, I'm you know maybe I'm in marketing, uh, mark on somewhere, and I've got my distribution lists for my whatever for my newsletters, my comms in, in various areas, and then you have got a, a CRM and you've got some data in the CRM and it's like which of these is the master in certain respects or which it's not even as simple as you know which is the right record about Rob yeah it's of we've both got a record with some details about Rob which components even which elements even are the master because I might have the most I might have the most up-to-date phone number and you've got the most up-to-date email address are those the kind of conversations or is that now are we are we kind of past that it's a good question. I think there are definitely still those examples of sort of what is the who owns this data or you know where is the most up-to-date version of, of, of this data. So I, I do think it's still a relevant point and I think you'll definitely or will definitely have examples of this moving forward I think where you'll have maybe someone's got a spreadsheet over here of who came to that event but they haven't uploaded it into the CRM and you know so I think it is a challenge and again, that's why almost you need a strong data lead and almost give them the sort of authority almost to make those decisions. But it comes back to that change piece. Again, it comes back to having strong comms around it and bringing people in and, and communicating with people clearly about why this is important and, and sort of owning those decisions going forward. Um, so I think I think it is still relevant because people will own their data and there might be a lot. I think we see on projects there's a lot of duplication of data as well as you go through as you go through these things. So. I think it's about being really clear, but also giving the person that role, the sort of authority to make decisions, and they could be unpopular. Yeah, that's a really interesting point then. So is it, so the data lead isn't a technical role then, it's making business decisions about the data, about what you take and what you're not, why, who owns, etc. Is that, have I read that right? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, I don't, I think data lead doesn't have to be a necessarily really technical person. Ideally, they they know data, but I think I think it is a business lead, a business decisions that have to be made. And I think you need to empower that person to make those decisions. That I mean, other people might disagree, though, um, hmm. so that, but that's just sort of my my personal view on it based on some of the projects that I've worked I've worked on. And I've had data leads who are really technical, but also data leads who are, who are not technical. And, you know, one of the data leads we had on the project was a head of fundraising, for example, because they knew the data best. I think that's where having the um, really sort of robust uh, business that you come back to and you revisit through the project structure so you can see um, the vision and understand that the decisions you're making, maybe the hard decisions around data fit in with what you wanted, where you want to get to at the end. Um, I don't know if Billy or Rob, you have sort of any experience where um, some data is taken out of their existing legacy system, but it's not migrated over. Have you had any sort of situations like that at all and the sort of approach that organisations take for that? I've, I've certainly seen it, um, you know, where <clears throat> that might be, uh, it's probably primarily historical where I've seen it as, be, as being something that's kind of, you know, signed off by the organisation publicly and with good logic behind it. So, as you say, you know, as we, we talked about earlier, for the past 10 years or more, we've been getting better and better at capturing data. Um, it's not always 
it's not necessarily the case that we now still need it. Who did attend those events in 2016? Does that matter anymore? <laughs> Discuss, you know, but does it matter anymore? Um, and equally, some kind of histories of memberships, you know, someone, do we need to track somebody who was paying their membership subscriptions in 2013-14? Or maybe just the fact that they've, they have been a member since 2006? Those kinds of conversations can lead to data being considered. It's almost like we don't need it live. We don't need it in the new CRM and we don't want it to block up the new CRM and we don't want to bring across 12 years yeah, worth of history. Yeah, we want to bring across live data, actionable data from the past few years. And then you get two choices, right? There's those who are then just reluctant. Like they just want to keep hold of the data. So we'll keep, we'll stick it over there anyway. Um, and you get others who basically want it effectively as a kind of a, an offline archive. So you can even, you can have it, you can drill through from a customer record to kind of the offline piece of data. You know, that's a bit more architecture, but can be done. Um, certainly see people who will want to retain access to, as opposed to just retain a copy of data. Um, so yes, sorry, long answer, but very definitely see clients who, and actually it's, it's quite a good discipline because, sorry, go on again, but what happens in, a, what I've seen happen in a few of those circumstances is people are like, we can't let go of this, we need it because we, we access it. What, certainly when yeah. subscriptions come around, renewals come around, we need it. Yeah. So we'll have it there, yeah. but we don't want it live. Fine. And then 18 months, two years later, you say to them, have you ever used that? No, not really. So are you going to yeah. continue paying to store it? And actually under GDPR, are you allowed to store it anymore? I was like, yeah, come on. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm getting into a tunnel. I can't hear you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a great conversation because it proves the success of the project, actually. But um, yeah. Uh, and I think um, as I sort of come from a, uh, a family of holders, there's going to be people in uh, companies that don't want to have that fear. And then that creates a real tension for that um, sort of data lead to combat. So having that sort of, as you said, sort of halfway house where they can extract the data and store it, and then have points where they revisit it to see have we actually used this and ask those questions might be a good way of weaning people out and getting just that focus data into the CRM. Yeah, and just just to add to that, yeah, I've seen similar examples of where people have said they need to keep certain fundraising data because someone might get in touch about a donation they made in 2013. So yeah, but like Rob said, you know, you then maybe talk to them a couple of years later and they, they've never really needed to use that information. But it's almost, I think sometimes a comfort blanket for people to know it's there, but they don't ever use yeah, it. Yes. And again, it will depend on what your old CRM is. Some people, you know, have the systems, therefore they just, it's just as an archive almost. And you know, that, that's not yeah wouldn't encourage it because it could be there and people might still want to use it but it's almost it's there if you really needed something to check from 2013 but like rob said is that then in line with gdpr as well i don't know you know like in terms of they could argue yes but so i think it's almost once people then realize that they don't really need it they don't really think about it and we can move on but i think it's almost a safety a safety thing at the start of a new crm that people maybe just take a bit of time getting used to yeah, no, it's really interesting. I've been kind of sitting back and listening to like all your experiences of this because obviously you've got all got a wealth of knowledge in kind of this area. Um, and it, yeah, from what it sounds like, that that just really provides the opportunity to really think, prioritise, cleanse out. Do we really need this kind of? It's almost like the house move analogy we've used before. You know, you look at everything you have, 
do we need it? Yes, no, we're going to move it into the new space, which I think is always a good opportunity for a good clear out. Um, I'm just conscious of kind of the time and, you know, we've always got lots to say on this topic, but um, for sort of the benefit of our listeners, really, just to kind of summarise and finalise um, in your experience and from your perspective, what are the sort of the key takeaways or tips that you would give to someone listening who's either thinking about kind of what they're going to have to do with their data or about to start on the process? Um, what would your kind of key takeaway advice or tips be um, if I could come to you both on that? Um, I don't know who wants to start. I won't pick, but uh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, don't mind, I don't mind starting. Um, I think for me, it's sort of be, you know, identify the right person to lead the, the data strand, if you like. And I don't think you can ever be too prepared to start really thinking about those data sources that you've got and if you you know if you can maybe look at doing some data cleaning in your in your CRM before because I think it will make that process a lot easier I think the worst thing would be to almost bring over bad poor quality data into a new CRM because then it just sets off another sort of trend of you know of difficulty so I think if you can do some cleaning even before you move that would be great but again I appreciate that may or may not be that easy depending on your time and resource but I think if you can start preparing and identify the right person to lead that data strand I think that'd be my my top tip you can never be too prepared for these things yeah mine sort of branches off what Billy said um have time allocated to look at your data um and to actually allocate time in your calendar to book time in because something else is always going to come in to take it so you can sit down and map what data you have and open those discussions to see how people are actually working um, if you can do that in person great if it is remote book in those sessions so people can talk through their processes so you can get a good idea of it um, and use your tech partner as well um, they're professionals in this space so they've worked with lots of organizations so to harvest that knowledge of what they have um, and sort of make it manageable and workable for you um, so you can then sort of inform the project and sort of lead from there. Um, but don't be scared for it. No, I was going to just say, <coughs> to remind you, Penneth, as well, to complement those things. I think one thing that I see too often and, and worry about is that uh, clients think we're getting new technology, it's better technology, it will give us better access to our data. So we'll clean our data, we'll chuck everything into it and clean our data when we get there. And the reality is that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, you know, so don't expect to be able to do that. Make the time up front, as Jonathan says, put some structure and governance, give it the importance it deserves up front, you know, with your data lead. I think business lead really is probably that, you know, you need a technical team, but get that business lead out there. Do the work up front and it really will pay dividends because again, as you both said, it goes back to the whole one of the key objectives of your investment and your initiative is to be able to put your data to work so don't leave it to afters it sets a really bad impression for, for people who then log into the new system expecting a whole new world and it's the same old rubbish in rubbish out yeah i think i'll just add on to that i agree like you, you in best in the world once you're live with a new crm there's so many other things that have changed in the organization you're probably not going to have initially a bit of time to then do that data cleansing that you wanted to do you know so I think like Rob said make the time up front and don't think that post CRM within the first couple of months probably you'll have the time or resource to you know people have been through a big change so then to get them to go through and do a load of data cleaning as well post go live I think is a difficult sell personally. 
Great, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, they're really great, valuable points to end on, actually. And I know we could talk for many podcasts about data, and I'm sure we'll have a few more on them in the future, because as you say, it's always such a, an important topic for us. So, um, yeah, just want to thank you both, Billy and Jonathan, for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate you taking your time um, and sharing all your experience and insights with us. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. So we really hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was really great to have Billy and Jonathan join us on today's podcast and to really pick their brains around data and data migration. Um, I think what stood out for me was just, you know, how much data is key and how much it's the foundation to everything else within a project. And it's also a co that common driver to even start a project in the first place, you know, to access it, uh, utilize it and understand it better. And, you know, you should be thinking about it right from the very beginning as well. Um, what stood out to you, Rob? Anything in particular? I think the, uh, the, yeah, the points you made, the, the think about it early, you know, think about it almost before you start the project, um, get your data cleansed. Uh, and then the, the other takeaway for me actually was that the importance of the role, well, the importance of the role of a data lead, you know, make sure you have a data lead within your team, you know, within your project team. Um, and then the interesting discussion around that it doesn't need to be, that shouldn't actually, shouldn't necessarily be somebody with technical nows. Yeah? yeah. And actually it's somebody coming at it from a business perspective, talking about, you know, or, or you know, leading on the responsibility around what information you, you, you need, your organisation needs, the what, the why, the how sort of thing. Um, they don't have to know, well, in fact, they don't have to know the how, they don't have to know the technical piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, which was, yeah, that was good conversation actually, good to hear that. Yeah, definitely. So um, if you did enjoy this episode as much as we did, um, be sure to leave us a review and better still subscribe so you get later notified of the latest episodes. Don't forget you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter by searching HeartSquare where you'll find loads of more content on leadership, digital, culture and capability. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.